The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. It's college football preview magazine season, and the first edition of the CFB Winning Edge preview book will be on sale in July. But our Tier 2 Patreon supporters already have access to over 10,000 individual player ratings, as well as position and unit ratings, coach ratings, and power rankings for all 130 FBS teams, plus complete projections, including win totals and projected point spreads for every game of the 2020 college football schedule. And unlike magazines that are obsolete before you get them home, we update our depth charts daily based on injuries, transfers, and other news. Visit patreon.com slash cfbwinningedge to join. Welcome in. It's the College Football Winning Edge podcast. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. And I am joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. You can follow him on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish. T-R-I-C-H-E is the spelling on his last name. Nick, what is going on, man? I'm, I'm uh, feeling pretty good. The weather is finally... Uh, it, it not only has has spring finally come to New England, but it, it felt a little bit like summer today, which was nice, and and made some progress on a couple of projects I've been working on, and and uh, excited to wrap up our uh, Power Five all conference teams and and start looking ahead to you know all American teams, and and then eventually, I mean, we're getting pretty close to you know full conference and and team previews. It's it's getting. Uh, pretty close to that point in the calendar. Uh, pretty pretty exciting time, I think. Yeah, and uh, looking more and more optimistic as long as you're not a baseball fan on uh, mm-hmm. sports mm-hmm. returning here. <laughs> the NHL has got their 2014 tournament going on. The NBA looks like uh, they're uh, inching more towards a uh, playoff tournament as well. The NFL just is acting like there's no such thing as coronavirus. And, uh, you know, they're going to open up mini camps next month. And uh, they said, well, what about the schedule? Are you going to make it flexible? It's like, no, nah, we're good. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll make it all work. Uh, they have worked in a couple things as far as like bye weeks and stuff go. I saw that uh, everyone uh, everyone's bye week is going to match up with their week two opponent should the whole season be pushed back. So. Uh, we'll see about things like that, but uh, sports are pretty positive. Even uh, California and New York opening up uh, spots for players to go and practice. You know, crowds are a different thing, but as long as it's on television, that's all we care about. So uh, today we're going to be going over the best teams in the ACC. So, I mean, uh, yeah, (laughs) the best players in the ACC, I should say. Uh, and to my surprise, looking at Xavier's list, it wasn't all Clemson players, Xavier. I'm very proud of you. Thank you. I really tried to diversify, um, and I tried to go as far away from Clemson as I possibly could. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't go too far, but you know, Cle- Clemson's pretty damn good. But uh, that is going to be what's on the docket today, of course. But uh, Nick, we got a new video up on the CFB Winning Edge YouTube, correct? That's right. Yeah, we've uh, only done a, a couple of videos in the in the past, and you showed us a new uh, fun tool where uh, people could actually 
get a get a good look at the three of us if they were so inclined. But uh, we did a, a video walking people through the 2020 CFB Winning Edge FBS team profiles. Which, uh, if you're a you know if, if you've been listening to us for a while, you've heard about our individual player ratings and overall team ratings, coach ratings, all that stuff. All of that information comes from these team profiles, and uh, those are available to our tier two patrons at patreon.com slash CFB winning edge. But if, you know, if you're not quite ready to commit, you don't really know what you're getting into. uh, We, we, one offered a video for you could, you know, take a look, see what it is that we're offering to people who are kind enough to support us, but also, uh, you know, some people who have already made the jump um, might, be missing a couple of things. It, it can be overwhelming at, at first. <laughs> well, we've been doing this for like a year, uh, uh, the, the three of us. And then uh, as we're recording the, the, uh, the show, you know, 20 or 30 minutes in, uh, Bogman, you go, you know, Oh, what, what is this? I didn't even know this was, <laughs> this one's down here. Yeah. So you get to see my, my shocked face when, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're on video and I'm, I'm trying to say, you know, hey, this has been here forever, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there, there's a lot to digest. And so people who are interested in checking it out, uh, this would give you an opportunity to, to see what it is we're talking about. And then, uh, if you are, uh, already joining us and, and thank you, of course, uh, for your support, uh, to those of you who are subscribed, uh, an opportunity to, to maybe show some of the things that you might have missed when you were uh, looking at it the, the first few times. So uh, excited about that video. And, and we're uh, looking ahead to potentially having, you know, more videos. Maybe we'll we'll uh, do some regular uh, podcast content on YouTube in the future. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, a lot of stuff. And I mean, you were genuinely surprised. You're like, how long have you been using these depth charts? And you didn't know this stuff was down here. I'm like, I never go that far down on, on the list. I'm always looking at just the uh, the depth charts mainly. So uh, all kinds of information on those sheets. They're really, really good. But uh, like I said, today we're going over the all ACC preseason team. But of course, before we start, um, Talking about that, we have some news and notes, and uh, we're going to start with transfer news. As always, transfers constantly happening all year long. And uh, in the most recent news, we have former Northern Illinois defensive lineman Jack Heflin, an an all-MAC standout, committing to Iowa. He uh, recently earned recognition from Pro Pro Football Focus as one of the most underrated players in college football and could be an immediate starter for the Hawkeyes. And I believe... Uh, I'll go look at the depth chart, of course, but I think that uh, AJ Epinesa's little brother is starting on the other side of him, right? Or does he play a different position? I can't remember. Uh, let's see. Let's let's pull up the old team profiles here. So uh, Epinesa, I don't have. I don't have anybody near. I, I thought there was another Epinesa, but I could be mistaken. Um, it might be. I'll have to take a look. But Eric. Uh, Eric. Is that oh, it? Okay. Maybe that's it. Is he a is he a twenty twenty signee or is he a? Yes, he is. That, ah, okay. That's what it is. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Well, hey, something to look forward to. But but uh, yeah, our our uh, I slotted him in as a starting defensive tackle uh, for Iowa. Iowa is one of about five FBS teams I've come across, by the way, so far or Power Five at least that does not have their updated twenty twenty roster. So. 
Iowa, UCLA, a few a few other teams are, are uh, sort of on my list. Is uh, I, I don't don't necessarily love them. When you do look at our team profiles, those those teams have a chance to to potentially we might have missed a thing or two. But hopefully they'll get those updated soon and we'll get all that. But Jack Heflin is a senior. Uh, had a, a great career at uh, Northern Illinois, all-MAC uh, contender, uh, capable maybe of, of making a push for uh, an All-American team. Who knows? I mean, he, he was that productive uh, with the Huskies, and, and uh, Iowa does only return one uh, full-time starter on the defensive line, really only one guy with more than a couple of uh, career starts coming in. That's Chance. Chauncey Golston at, at uh, defensive end, but uh, expect Heflin to, to play a lot. I don't know if he'll put up quite the stats he did at Northern Illinois, but uh, he's certainly somebody that is capable of contributing right away. I mean, this this is somebody that from an interior defensive line position, he, he comes in at, at uh, you know 300 plus pounds, uh, eight and a half tackles for loss, three sacks last year, forced three fumbles. Uh, he had six sacks in, in 2018 and, and eight tackles for loss. So he's somebody that's been very productive, played a lot of football. And I was, you know, they, they've dipped into the transfer portal a couple of times this year. They're, they're, uh, one of their starting tackles, Coy Cronk, uh, came over from Indiana after making 40 starts there. So they, they had a couple of holes they wanted to plug, and, and Heflin is certainly uh, somebody, I think, capable of doing so on that interior uh, defensive line. Yeah, I mean, pretty decent move for Iowa, right here, Xavier? Yeah, I mean, anytime that you can add to a position, you can never have too many good defensive linemen. Um, and it just seems like we keep talking about every single week, it feels like a Northern Illinois guy decides to leave. I think this is a great move for him, uh, especially with Iowa being a place that has put out uh, what seems like a plethora of D-line talent. Maybe it's not high first-round talent like Epinesa might have been um, in the draft this year, barring a bad combine. But, you know, if you're going somewhere that can take you to the pros and has a good record of it, by all means, go right ahead. Um, I think it's a great move for him going from a place like Northern Illinois to Iowa to hopefully make it to the NFL for next year. And the exodus in Mississippi State continues here. Mm-hmm. Uh, J- uh, Jerry and Jones, a DB who was expected to compete for a starting job, and Fabian Lovett, a starting defensive lineman, are both going to transfer not only out of Mississippi State, but to Ole Miss, and they both could get... Uh, you know, immediately waivers. Yeah, waivers to be immediately eligible. So uh, not surprising, right, Xavier, to see Mississippi State lose some more players. I mean, goodness gracious. I Okay, there's got to be something going on in the locker room. I would love to be a fly on the wall right now inside Mississippi State to see what's happening because I know what we all talked about what uh, Leach did earlier this offseason, but it just seems like that has rubbed people the wrong way, but it looks like there's got to be more to this, that guys who – were clearly started or clearly stated to like start or have uh, a lot of minutes going into this season or even deciding to leave um, and leaving to a rival. There's something there that I wish I could be a fly on the wall for right now. Yeah, Nick, I mean, I'm not surprised that these guys are leaving, but to go leave and go to your in-state rival is kind of a surprising move. Yeah, and, and we've talked about both these guys in the past. I mean, Jones was, uh, he came up last week, I think he announced right before we started recording that he was going to transfer, but uh, Lovett was somebody that uh, was a starter last year and, and had, uh, I believe, very briefly sounded like he was going to head to Florida State, but it, it sounds like these guys got together and decided 
Uh, Ole Miss actually was a, a little bit better fit, which is, of course, interesting because it's it's arch rivals. And I, I did uh, live in that state for, for a couple of years and, and got to sort of see it up close that I, I really do think it's high on the list as far as the most bitter uh, rivalries that are out there as far as those two fan bases go. So, uh, you know, uh, players have to make the, the best decisions for them, and they felt that Ole Miss was going to be a better fit. And, and uh, you know, it, it, Leach, I think, through, through uh, uh, some poor choices, uh, created this opening, I think, where players that might have thought, you know, uh, I didn't necessarily sign up to play for him. I, I signed with Joe Moorhead, or, or I think both these guys were Moorhead recruits. It's mm-hmm. possible that uh, – yeah, I think I think so. Uh, I, I'm guessing Lovett was a, a Mullen, uh, you know, had recruited him all along right before he left. But anyway, you know, th- these guys decided they they didn't necessarily like what they saw from Leach or or having spent uh, a year or two on campus there in Starkville, decided that maybe uh, a better spot would be available for them. And and I'm I'm guessing, pure speculation, of course, that uh, Leach's comments probably make it fairly likely that the waiver would be granted for both of these guys. So I would yep. expect we might see both of them on the field in the Egg Bowl this year, which yeah. uh, certainly would be uh, a story to watch. Uh, Virginia Tech defensive back Jeremy Webb, uh, he put his name in the transfer portal. He was a highly recruited player in 2018, and he has been hampered by injuries. And the Navy had uh, striker Tony Brown enter the transfer portal. He is the fifth player uh, na- from Navy to enter the the portal this season, and the third striker, which is the hybrid safety linebacker, 2019 starting striker Jack Springer, uh, 90.3 rated on VGR Plus, is rumored to be headed towards Michigan. So uh, lots of moving and shaking between Virginia Tech and Navy, Nick. Yeah, and and Webb, it, it's definitely unfortunate. I think he's he suffered at least one Achilles injury, if not two, but significant injuries. He was expected to play a lot when he signed, and and uh, expected him to compete for a starting position this year. But you know, just unfortunately decided uh one i guess the injuries played a role but two uh maybe felt that uh he needed a fresh start so he'll have an opportunity to to go elsewhere and hope that he'll be able to get on the field and stay on the field he's a, he's a big corner he's he's listed at six four and over 200 pounds so he's somebody that you know athletically is is pretty unique and and is talented as well so hope he has an opportunity to uh to play and and uh you know perhaps uh, catch the eye of, of scouts that might be looking for uh, a, a big body at corner. Uh, the Navy uh, moves are, are interesting to me because there's been a little bit of a trickle and it's, it, it is a bit odd that it seems to be uh, all this one particular position. And Springer was was very, very good. I mean, his, his production numbers have, uh, as you mentioned, he's over a 90-rated player now, and, and pretty much all of that is due to uh, the production, just the, the you know what he's put in the, in the stat sheet uh, has helped raise that overall rating. But the guys that were listed behind him on the depth chart who seemed like they might be able to step up and, and uh, take over that starting role, Brown being one of those decided that, you know, maybe the, the Naval Academy is not 
the best place for me. And, and they also lost another starter in, in Michael McMorris, who was a corner uh, who started all of last season as a sophomore. But good news for, for Navy is he actually uh, fairly recently pulled his name out of the transfer portal. So he'll be coming back. But Brown leaving, and then it sounds like Springer, uh, if he had perhaps entertained thoughts of, of uh, pulling out of the transfer portal and, and returning to Navy, uh, the the rumor mill expects that he'll end up potentially at Michigan, which would be a fairly big uh, big pool for the Wolverines there. I think he's somebody that uh, can be productive at a, at a higher level uh, program like Michigan. So something to watch because Navy took a huge step forward last year, had a, a major bounce back season. And Malcolm Perry, the, the quarterback, got a lot of the headlines, but really what changed uh, was defensively. I mean, they, they took as big a step forward as any team defensively. And, and to lose you know, one of their best players and, and one starter uh, and, and then also some depth at a pretty key position is, is something to keep an eye on because there's certainly a lot of turnover with Perry now gone to uh, the Miami Dolphins, I believe. So uh, a lot of turnover there and, and that defense, which was uh, fairly underrated, you know, I think as far as that, that turnaround go, didn't didn't get maybe as much credit as, as it deserved. Uh, something something to watch because maybe might not be, you know, might have to take a step back a little bit this year. Any thoughts on these defensive back uh, transfers here, Xavier? Yeah, I mean, for, for Webb, we'll get to it later, but that Virginia Tech uh, defensive back unit is it's deep and it's stacked. Uh, so for him to, you know, have an opportunity to leave, yes, he was hampered by injuries, but I know he also saw the writing on the wall which are a lot of guys who are there who are juniors and, you know, or in seniors who are going to play guaranteed. And we'll get to some of those guys later, uh, but an opportunity for him to go off and play. Um, and for Navy, you know, honestly, for me, being a college football fan, I've always been surprised of the lack of people who transfer from Navy, not necessarily because of any uh, reason of, you know, talent or, you know, uh, competition at Navy, but, you know, the, the ability to go play on the national, uh, on a national stage, and leave maybe after one or two great years. Um, so I've always, you know, kind of been surprised that people wouldn't leave academy schools to go somewhere else um, if they if they were a great player. Uh, so this isn't too shocking to me that this is happening. Uh, Nick alluded to it. Their defense was, you know, a standout unit last year for them and really uh, helped down the stretch. So I think that, you know, this is a good move from him. If he's going to Michigan, obviously he's still going to lose to Ohio State. But, hey, it's nice to go play on a national scale. And uh, this one was surprising. Uh, Kalen Newton, who is Cam Newton's mm-hmm. younger brother, committed to Auburn. Uh, he was freshman of the year uh, after performing at Howard, starting for Howard in 2017, and he led them to an upset win over UNLV as well. He's going to be a walk-on, which allows him to be eligible immediately, and he still has two years of eligibility remaining. But it seems like he is either going to be straight backup because they have Knicks, of course, uh, and or he could move positions to wide receiver um, being the most likely spot, Nick. So uh, another Newton going to Auburn. I'm sure the fans uh, down there love that. Yeah, I think so. And and it was a bit of a surprise move because, of course, you know you you would expect that a player uh, would want to go somewhere where they probably have a pretty good chance of of winning the uh, starting job. And and it's very unlikely that uh, Kalen Newton, as as impressive as he was, in, in that true freshman season uh he's probably not going to beat out Bo Nix and and I think he 
knows that, but it, it sounds like he will have an opportunity either to provide some depth, like you said, which behind Bo Nix, the, the depth is a little bit of an issue. I mean, Cord Sandberg is just a sophomore, but I think he's almost 30 years old. He played minor league baseball for a while and, and was a highly rated recruit, but he's, you know, it, maybe not uh, quite what they expected he, he could be when he was younger. And then a true freshman uh, Shale Garnett is is third on our depth charts, and and uh, you know you don't necessarily want to if something were to happen to Knicks, uh, maybe those aren't the, the two best options. If you're Auburn, might be nice to have somebody like a Kalen Newton who's experienced at the collegiate level, the Division One level, and, and has had some success. So uh, to be able to have him as depth there, or I, I sort of envision uh, Auburn is very deep at the running back position, so I'd be surprised if he ends up there, but. You know, receiver is is interesting, and and perhaps yeah. there are some unique things you could do uh, with Newton. I mean, they they certainly in the past have been creative with a guy like Anthony Schwartz, who's just an absolute burner. Uh, they're always, you know, Auburn is cooking up trick plays every week. So if you could, you know, use uh, Newton work him into the receiver rotation a little bit and then draw up a double pass or, you know, reverse pass, something like that. It's something that, you know, maybe he doesn't have a huge impact all year long, but could end up in a position to make a big play at the right moment. So it's it's certainly an intriguing move. And I've, I've seen more of this. I don't know if I just... Uh, have just realized it or or if this is something that's gaining a little bit more uh momentum or or whatever that that guys walking on instead of taking a scholarship uh clears them to to be able to play right away that's what happened with lane hatcher at arkansas state last year he transferred from alabama but because he was a walk-on at alabama uh was able to uh, uh, become immediately eligible. So uh, it's 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 interesting that that you can uh, you know do that as a uh, as a, as a uh, maybe a way of getting around having to wait an extra year in, in certain cases. But uh, an intriguing move. Not sure if it's going to have a, a huge impact on Auburn long term, but uh, certainly a, a fun name uh, going back to uh, that program. And and uh, who knows could pay off for them in uh, in a big moment next year. How much are they paying Kalen Newton, do you think, Xavier? <laughs> How they're, make, they're making him pay. He's going to be walking. <laughs> well, I'm yeah, sure okay. Cam is paying yeah, for right. that. So, <laughs> you know. Don't be surprised that it's all of a sudden something Cam Newton named on the, you know, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> but I do think he would probably move to receiver, Nick. I think he's not, this is an opportunity. I was trying to look for some of his, maybe his 40 times. He's run anywhere from a 4.58 to a 4.7. So it's a, a, he's six foot, 200 pounds. You can obviously see him moving two wide receiver they're not you know there's not an amazing like depth of talent there so yeah i think you're absolutely right and you know for auburn fans they need some nostalgia um you know to to really hype up the crowd again you know after what was a decent year last year but this year you know hey a newton back at auburn that's gonna get all auburn fans thinking national championship again which is always a good thing because then their hopes and dreams are dashed by week seven but I digress. <laughs> uh, Oklahoma State quarterback Brandon Costello, Brandon Costello, uh, is ex- he was expected to back up uh, Spencer Sanders, but he put his name in the transfer portal. He was recruited by Michigan State, Utah, and Georgia, among others. I don't know that he would land in any of those spots. Seems like they have uh, pretty um, locked-in players for this year if he wanted to play this year, but he may not be eligible to play this year anyway, Nick. So... What are your thoughts on Costello moving? 
It's it's an intriguing name because he kind of I think got squeezed a little bit because Sanders was, I believe, the the highest rated quarterback recruit that Mike Gundy had ever landed at Oklahoma State, and then a uh, true freshman coming in, Shane Illingworth, is basically has the same rating as, as Sanders. So uh, he, he got squeezed a little bit where it looked like, you know, chances weren't going to be very high that he was going to become the starter there. And and so maybe this is a guy who uh, was a, an intriguing enough prospect to get, you know, some looks from uh, big time power five program. So, you know, maybe he, he moves to one of those, a situation comes up. I mean, we've talked in the past, I think about how, you know, Colorado is, is very thin at quarterback. Maybe there's an opportunity for uh, him to go at a school like that. That's having a uh, transition, not only at, at uh, the position, but in, as far as the head coach goes as well. So uh, something like that is, is an option, but I think this is intriguing as well because maybe he shows up at you know a uh, uh, g5 school you know maybe maybe smu is is an option they've been dipping into the transfer portal quite a lot pure speculation of course but you know maybe he ends up somewhere in conference usa or the Sun Belt. he's he's pretty small he's listed at under six feet and under 200 pounds so you know he, he's not somebody that's likely to to you know it's not necessarily that he's on the move to improved draft stock you would not expect it's just maybe he wants to have an opportunity to play and and uh somebody that was regarded you know well enough to to sign with oklahoma state coming out of high school he's a he's a, a you know 87 and a half rating which is right on the, the line there between three and four stars so a, a talented guy uh coming out of high school and and we've seen oklahoma state guys transfer to places like texas state tulane you know he might drop down to the fcs level but I, i'm going to keep an eye on him and, and see if he uh pops up somewhere you know in, in maybe the american or, or in conference usa something like that because perhaps he's the type of player that uh given an opportunity at, at that level uh could put together a, a really solid career so some somebody just a you know a name to file away for for later on i think are there any uh, specific landing spots you'd like to see him in, Xavier? Vanderbilt. Can a quarterback please go <laughs> to Vanderbilt? We, we've talked about – maybe clearly, Brendan Rodgers, I need you to listen to the podcast. Are you listening? Vanderbilt doesn't have anybody. Yeah. want to go there. Go. Please. They need somebody at quarterback. You're in the SEC. You're going to be on the SEC network every week. If you're good enough – all of a sudden, you become a bright spot that all of a sudden gets signed, uh, gets shown as players to watch every time Vanderbilt plays. This is a win-win in every situation. Yeah, Vanderbilt. I mean, I hate to say it would be an easy job to win, but you know, uh, just according to uh, you know VGR, no one over you know very much <laughs> over a seventy-five uh, on Vanderbilt. this this team. Ken Seals, Jeremy Musa, and Michael Wright all just okay i mean decent 247 ratings here you know uh 87 for right but he's a freshman uh seals is a freshman as well with an 87 uh and a 82 and a half for musa so uh i'm with you guys for sure uh vanderbilt uh, a very very a decent landing spot so that that's a good one and that was i mean you had uh, we didn't plan that question out or anything and xavier had <laughs> answer uh, immediately <laughs> so he is looking for someone good to go to vanderbilt as we all should be 
A uh, couple other news and notes things, and I'll burn through these and let you guys talk about them. Uh, Clemson wide receiver Justin Ross will undergo surgery in June for an injury, uh, injury related to a stinger he suffered during spring track practice, so hopefully that is not going to keep him out for a uh, for any of the season, and hopefully he can be back to get a little practice time in. Former Georgia Tech starting quarterback Tobias Oliver is going to move, who moved from QB to wide receiver last year is going to move to cornerback this year. Uh, Iowa State and Ohio State have made headlines in recent days uh, for their plans to limit fan attendance this fall. Iowa State expects to limit capacity to 30,000. Ohio State uh, has models for 20 to 50,000. And um, I know, you know, the Steelers in the preseason, they are only selling 50% of the capacity of their tickets right now uh, based on, you know, we don't know what the rules or laws will be uh, come football time. Uh, and then there's a big question about a possible Conference USA and Sunbelt merger. Uh, Louisiana Lafayette AD Brian Maggard mentioned it in a recent interview. Arkansas State AD uh, Trey Mohair has been on the record in favor of it as well. So uh, football, a little more difficult than the other sports to move around, but we'll see uh, about that. Um, and many FBS conferences and programs have announced plans to allow players on campus and for workouts to begin. Clemson's going to start on June 8th. The Pac-12 will allow workouts to begin June 15th. Oklahoma uh, will wait until July 1st, but a lot of things moving forward here. So, Nick, uh, comments about any of the news and notes here that we have? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly hope that Justin Ross is is going to be healthy quickly. Uh, sounds like, you know, just sort of trying to read between the lines and some of the comments that Debo Sweeney uh, shared with the media recently doesn't sound like this is a big idea, but I've never heard of a Stinger, uh, you know, needing, needing injury, and, and Stingers are sort of in that, you know, neck and shoulder, head area, so uh, something maybe maybe to keep an eye on. I mean, I certainly hope he'll, he'll be able to bounce back quickly because he's a great player and uh, is going to be, you know, uh, coming up in a conversation when we're talking a uh, all ACC type receivers. The the uh, Tobias Oliver's is uh, a, a very interesting player. He was a pretty perfect fit for Paul Johnson as an option quarterback. He's he's been dynamic. He uh, was a productive runner uh, in Johnson's last year, and and he actually uh, was was in the mix and, and got a start at quarterback uh, in 2019. So uh, he was somebody that Jeff Collins thought, you know, hey, this guy might give us the best chance to win right away but but then eventually you know James Graham kind of uh, grew into that job and, and took it over but Oliver is, is athletic enough that uh, they got to get him on the field somewhere and, and Tech tried uh, wide receiver they've got a pretty veteran group at wide receiver have a guy coming back from injury and another uh, who sat out last year as a uh, transfer so there's there's uh, you know an opportunity maybe to have more of an impact on the defensive side of the ball and Jeff Collins is a uh, you know a defensive coach and and uh, certainly has a, a strong track record as there uh, as well over there. I, I believe that uh, the secondary really Georgia Tech's 
entire roster. I mean, they're one of the highest uh, returning production percentages across the board, but they're they're pretty strong in the secondary, I would say. But there's still an opportunity maybe to to carve out a role. And and Oliver, I think, is athletic enough. He's he's fairly tall. He's listed at six two, which for a corner uh, is good size. So who knows? Maybe this is uh, the move that he needed to make to uh, become you know the player that he potentially could be. Maybe this is his uh, route to. The NFL. I mean, I know as my uh, I had a uh, short career uh, coaching in, in high school, and we had conversations with guys. You know, everybody wants to play receiver or, or guys that are quarterbacks uh, who are the best player on the field at the high school level. But you know, they're coming in and, and uh, having conversations with assistant coaches in the weight room or, or whatever, and and guys are showing an interest in you know, hey move over to defense. I mean, if you're uh, over six feet and can eventually get to 200 pounds and you're athletic enough to play corner, uh, the path to the NFL is a lot easier uh, on the defensive side of the ball than it is playing corner, or at least it was in the past. I mean, things have have certainly changed in in the very recent uh, last few years, but uh, seeing a little bit more athleticism at the NFL level at the quarterback position. But still, I mean, the chances are a lot easier. The path to, uh, you know, you can make a million dollars as a corner uh, and you might be playing, you know, in the CFL or just trying to hang on uh, certain guys that if they're wanting to stick to, to quarterback. So uh, Oliver, maybe it's not the, the biggest move, but it's somebody, something to consider, I think, for a lot of players who are trying to find their right fit. And, and you know, sometimes maybe you just got to uh, look over to defense, maybe have an opportunity to, to make a bigger impact. The Comfort USA and Sunbelt thing I think is definitely interesting. Geographically, it makes a lot more sense for uh, Louisiana Tech to play you know, ULM or Louisiana Lafayette uh, more often. It certainly is weird that Marshall and UTEP could play a, a conference game in football. I mean, that's about as far a distance as, as any two teams in FBS uh, would travel from uh, West Virginia to the, to the far – uh, western uh, border of, of Texas. So uh, for, for some of these schools to cut down on some costs, I think uh, maybe making a move toward uh, a little bit more geographical uh, rivalry, you know, some of those rivalries are, are there, but uh, a little bit uh, closer geographic footprint for some of these conferences that expanded in the last go-round maybe a little little too far, and especially now that uh, you know, people are trying to cut costs and air travel and, and all of that. So it, it's intriguing and, and it makes maybe more sense or will be easier to do, as you mentioned, uh, with some of the Olympic sports. But, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't mind seeing it at, at football. So it, maybe if there's not an official merger, maybe there'll be at least an agreement with uh, some teams in those leagues in the near future to play a little more often. I, I think that could certainly uh, help some of those programs, uh, not only rekindle maybe some uh, old rivalries or start some new ones, but also save a little bit of money. And then you mentioned the dates of, of people, uh, different teams starting back up, which of course we take as a very positive sign. And, and uh, there are some uh, media outlets out there that, that have put together uh, some lists that you might want to bookmark. I, I came across one at ESPN and, and one at 247 Sports that uh, are on the homepage at, at both of those uh, sites that uh, do regular updates on, you know, you can look team, team by team in the 247 one, they'd have it by by conference. So you can see, you know, Clemson starts June 8th, 
Georgia Tech starts this day, Duke starts this day, you know, as that information comes in. So uh, if, you, if you're like me and you're really looking ahead and, and hoping for the best for college football season, you probably want to keep an eye on uh, some lists like that, that that are getting all the information together and, and putting it in one place for us. Uh, Xavier, your thoughts on the uh, all of this news and stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's go ahead and just start with the merger. Um, I, 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 <laughs> Thanks, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so just uh, starting with Justin Ross. I really think that this is the reason why I don't have him, and a little bit of a spoiler in my ACC um, 2020 offensive um, ACC team, uh, because I'm really worried about things like stingers and nerve damage anywhere near the shoulder or head or neck area. It could be one tackle that takes him out for two games. And it's a, it's an issue that you have to kind of monitor throughout the year. I mean, I've never really heard of anything going as far as surgery either, uh, Nick, to help out a, a stinger. So that's a little worrisome. Um, as far as him moving from quarterback, uh, Oliver moving from quarterback to uh, cornerback, I did it in college. I moved from wide receiver to corner, um, and I think it was probably the best move I've ever made. I played more. Um, I got. I was better at a corner than I was a receiver, at least at the college level. Um, I, it's going to give him an opportunity for scouts to see him in that way, and it, it makes him more versatile. Uh, and we see guys like uh, John Franklin, uh, the third of uh, Last Chance U fame, who now is playing for the Bears and made their team as a corner, but was a quarterback all throughout college, um, and even played some receiver even when he got to Florida State, or I'm sorry, he got to Auburn. So. You know, you, you see all those things, and you, the more you can be uh, applicable to a team in any regard, whether that's offense, defense, or special teams, the better. Um, and as far as a Sun Belt and Conference USA merger, it's funny. I was just watching a Louisiana Tech YouTube video about how they did not make it to a bowl game as a 9-4 and four team. And part of the reason why was because they didn't want to play ULM in the bowl game because of a, a, a historic rivalry between both teams. So the, the opportunity to see that happen again, of you know, Louisiana Tech and ULM possibly having to play each other, UAB versus Troy, uh, games like that make me excited. Um, and as far as from a Georgia State fan and the Georgia State students' perspective, you know, being able to go play a team like UAB would be fun um, in that regard. I think that makes sense. I think Georgia State should play UAB. Atlanta and yeah. Birmingham are, are pretty close, and, and they just sort of – I don't know. As as far as cities go, it seems like a natural. Uh, yeah, exactly. I kind of like the idea of. I kind of like the idea of playing your rival in a bowl game, though. Uh, I mean, you know, we saw Alabama and Auburn playing a national title game, and I I've been just hoping that Texas can play the Aggies in a bowl game too. So uh, I I actually kind of like that idea too. So I think anytime you can play your rival is a good time, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to see a Conference USA Sunbelt merger. It would just add more teams, and I think it would just be just fun personally. And, um, yeah, I would love to see it. Um, any, any thoughts on um, the teams opening up, uh, you know, fairly soon, some opening up soon, some waiting until July? I don't know. Um, personally, I think I see it. I don't think any team's going to get an upper hand on either other teams. Um, I think if you're Clemson, you're still the, one of the best teams in the country and starting four or five days earlier than somebody else is not going to change that. Um, I think maybe for the teams that are a little bit closer in competition level, maybe, um, you, you know, you get started faster. Uh, but we it's a, a wait and see. Our president at Georgia State just announced yesterday that he plans for students and faculty to, to be back in the fall. So we're looking for Georgia State football to get started back uh, up again here soon. 
Um, so, but, but for me, it's not really, I don't think anybody's going to get too much of an upper hand. And I think that was a lot of people's earlier problems, but right now I just think people want to get back into the swing of things and it's going to take time for everybody to do that, regardless of how early or late you start. And I know we, we've heard Nick about the, uh, mega conferences and that kind of stuff, mm. um, in the past. Do you think that this would be maybe the first move towards building bigger conferences? Uh, <coughs> smooth. Ah! <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll edit that. I'll edit that. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, you can't. I, I, I'll. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know that the it, it's an it's an interesting topic. I, I think a lot of us like to sort of go down the rabbit hole of, of what uh, conference realignment could look like. And, and there certainly are uh, some situations that with this particular matchup of, of leagues makes sense. But if my math is correct, uh, there are 14 Conference USA teams and 10 Sunbelt teams. That, that's a pretty big conference. 24 uh, teams is, is a bit ridiculous. So uh, that would be, you know, that, that might be a little bit strange. It, it would almost make sense to uh, sort of split them east and west as, as best you can and make those two distinct conferences. But, uh, you know, I remember in the, what, mid-90s, the WAC uh, had 16 teams, and, and it was almost like two different conferences uh, where some of these Conference USA teams were involved. But uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting. This one, I think, makes sense because these are schools that don't have huge budgets. I think a lot of the mega conference talk we've heard, uh, or at least the ones that stick out to me, are, are uh, you know, big-time Power 5 schools where there's some thought that maybe these teams would break away from uh, the NCAA just as a whole. So that, that's usually what I think of when I think of these big conferences. But uh, I think whatever, you know, whether, whether it's uh, maybe just a, a little bit of a mix and match, you put them together and, and uh, come up with two different names, or uh, if there's some sort of agreement between these two leagues to, to cut down a little bit on some of that travel, I, I think makes sense. So, you know, a, a team like the American or a conference like the American is, is a little bit different because they're so uh, located so often in major cities that you could, for the most part, get direct flights between a lot of those uh, cities. It, it's a little bit easier, but some of these Conference USA towns like, a, you know, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, for example, or uh, Ruston, Louisiana, I mean, you know, you're going to have to travel to get to the airport, to get on a plane, to go uh, fly into uh, wherever you fly into when you're going to play Marshall. Uh, and and then take a, a you know fairly long drive once you land. So uh, if we could get you know cut out some of that travel time and, and some of the costs that go along with it, uh, one would help some of these programs navigate this time that we're in. And, and two, I think it just you know from a, a time saving standpoint and, and things like that, I think it makes a fair amount of sense. So I'm, I'm interested to see if there will be some more discussions on this one in particular, but also maybe some of the uh, smaller conferences as a whole that have spread out maybe a little, a little too much for uh, my liking geographically. But, you know, so, some of the, the moves like this, some of these discussions I think uh, make sense, could lead to some positive things if, if they do decide to go down this road. And a lot of them are just money-based. You know what I mean? It's more about spreading the money out uh, across the teams and, uh, you know, TV contracts and uh, things like that. So yeah. I guess, uh, you know, for the future, it's probably just a big we'll see, right, Xavier? 
Yeah, I, I like the idea. I think that ultimately this is exactly what you're saying. It's a money move. It's an opportunity to go to these TV stations and say, hey, this is all the teams that we have. You know, and, and I think that it's an opportunity for some of these smaller conferences. I mean, you see the MAC right now is going through its own struggles with having to fold different uh, different schools are having to fold different programs. And I think that, you know, something like this in this pandemic, it gives people the opportunity to at least think about it. So I think it's a wait and see. But, you know, I think this time gives us an opportunity to really think about what it would mean for conferences going forward, at least from a money standpoint. All right. Well, with all of that behind us, let's get to the 2020 All ACC preseason team. <laughs> all not all Clemson, uh, but uh, Nick, take us away with the VGR Plus offense team. Yeah. So if, if this is your first time uh, listening to us, if, if you haven't gone back and, and heard the other all conference teams we've done, the highest rated player at each position by our VGR plus individual player ratings, just to sort of see where those might differ a little bit uh, compared to the eye test from the three of us or uh, where some other, you know, all conference teams in the past might have lined up uh, from the coaches or the media guys who were returning. So, of course, it, it makes you know, perfect sense. I, I think uh, uh, there would be le- very little argument to say that Trevor Lawrence is the highest rated quarterback in the ACC. Uh, Clemson quarterback is our uh, 100 uh, max rated player. There, there are a couple of guys that are, are pretty close, uh, but Lawrence is, is the only to have reached that max rating. And, and of course, you know, he's going to be, uh, if not the first overall draft pick, probably a top three type guy. He, he made uh, unfortunately, some headlines early last year for uh, some poor throws and interceptions. But after he tossed a couple of picks in mid-October against Louisville, he was incredible. I mean, uh, did not throw an interception over his last one, two, three, four, five, six, eight games uh, during that time. Uh, five different times, uh, average more than ten yards per attempt in a game and, and uh, just put up some absolutely incredible, uh, you know, accuracy numbers over 70% uh, from the regular season that far out. He dipped a little bit from an accuracy standpoint and and from a yards per attempt standpoint in the playoff. I mean, but uh, his running ability came up big, uh, you know, against Ohio state and, and uh, LSU made him, made him look human, but uh, everybody, you know, I think is, is allowed a, an off game every once in a while. And, and we're not going to see many of those from Trevor Lawrence. And, and I expect uh, 20, 2020 to be uh, about as good as, as we could hope for from Trevor Lawrence. I think he's got an opportunity to put up incredible numbers and, and, Part of that is because teams aren't going to be able to, you know, sit back on him too much because Travis Etienne uh, is running back, another 100-rated player, made a surprise move to, to come back to school. So uh, Etienne being in the backfield, I think, is uh, a, a big boost to Lawrence and, and, you know, taking some of the pressure off him a little bit because, you know, Etienne is a touchdown waiting to happen, basically, from any spot on the field. I mean, it's... it's uh, Really, I, I was shocked when he when he decided to pass up the NFL. This guy, you know, averaged seven point eight yards a carry over sixteen hundred yards, nineteen touchdowns. He did, you know, really took a step forward as a receiver. I think, and and mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he's he's he plays like a small guy. I mean, he's that that fast, but he's over two hundred and ten pounds. I think he's proved, you know, he, he proved everything he needed to do at the, at the college level. Uh, but 
has an opportunity to, to come back and, and perhaps win another national championship, maybe make a run at, uh, you know, some personal awards, Doak Walker Award, what have you. So those two guys are, are legit Heisman uh, contenders and, and uh, are on all of our all ACC first teams, I think, with very little thought to, to putting somebody else there. But uh, the other running back uh, might be a little bit of a surprise. Kalen Laybourne is actually the highest rated, second highest rated running back in the ACC, according to our individual uh, player ratings. I'm actually a little bit higher on Deshaun Corbin, the Texas A&M transfer coming in. I think both of those guys will split carries early, but I expect Corbin to actually uh, perhaps take over the, the number one role by the end of the year. So uh, just because Laybourne is, is rated that high, I mean, we see this sometimes with teams like a Florida State or a Miami. They, they might have been really highly rated coming out of high school, but those two teams in particular in recent years have had some disappointing seasons. And, and so some of those guys, maybe uh, their player rating because our first step is, is recruiting ratings. Uh, and then we adjust for experience and production. But you know, uh, keep that in mind for Florida State and Miami guys on, on this list that, that maybe one or two might be slightly overrated compared to where we might put them individually. At the receiver position, Justin Ross is is uh, certainly up there. He's almost to a 100 as far as uh, his VGR Plus goes, and, and uh, you expect that he is just ready to, to completely have a dominant year if he's healthy. Uh, they, they've uh, now... You know, T. Higgins is gone, second round pick, and and so uh, Ross stepping in is is a guy who's got you know a thousand yard season in in the past, and he's he's ready for a junior year. He's six four, two hundred pounds, and and going to be uh, probably in the mix. I would expect to be a, a you know first couple of round draft pick next year. Uh, to Marion Terry, uh, very similarly built, very similar, you know, production. And, and he is a guy that's got an all ACC uh, background and, and another guy that was surprising to come back for his senior year, Florida State receiver. They're going to play in that Mike Norvell offense uh, should be pretty exciting. I think Florida State has an opportunity to take a big step forward. And, and Terry is, is worthy of his rating. And he's actually played above uh, his his rating coming out of high school, he was a little bit underrated. So Tamari Terry, I think, is is really stepped up and become one of the best wide receivers in in the ACC. And and it's a pretty it's a pretty good list. I mean, this conference is is pretty deep at that position because Sage Sherat, the Wake Forest wide receiver, uh, similarly has outplayed his recruiting ranking coming out of high school. Was very productive. He was the nation's leader in receiving yards when he went down with injury. Uh, towards the end of last season and the last, uh, you know, he missed the the last, I think, three games of Wake Forest year last year. But uh, all of those guys are, are going to be 100-rated players before the end of the season for sure. Uh, another guy that's in the mix that I, I listed down at the all-purpose position, uh, but he's right there in the high 90s is Tutu Atwell from Louisville, one of my favorite players to watch. He's tiny. But he is mm-hmm. explosive, and they get him involved in a variety of ways. Had an absolutely huge year statistically last year. It's not going to sneak up on too many people in, in 2020, but I think he's somebody that they're going to uh, be creative with. And now they get the football to him, continue to do that, and, and he's going to have an opportunity to, to put up an all-conference type year for sure. At tight end, Brevin Jordan at Miami is somebody that was incredibly highly rated coming out of high school. He's, I believe, the highest rated uh, maybe there's a, a true freshman that might have passed him, but but I know last year he was the second highest rated 
as far as a 247 rating in all of college football at the tight end position. And that other guy was Colby Parkinson at Stanford, who uh, was drafted last month. So Brevin Jordan is, is elite from a pure athleticism standpoint. And uh, he, he was able to put together a very, very productive year last year. Miami, of course, is, is changing offensive coordinators. So it remains to be seen if uh, Rhett Lashley, the, the new play caller, though he did utilize tight end pretty well at SMU last year, uh, it, it might not be quite as big of a focus as it was under Dan Enos last year. So something to watch. But Brevin, Brevin Jordan is, is going to be one of the you know, either the first or second tight end drafted next year, I think, other than Kyle Pitts from Florida is, is going to be in that mix as well. But Brevin Jordan is, is absolutely worth, uh, you know, all the ratings that he's earned at this point. The offensive line from left to right, Jackson Carmen at left tackle at Clemson is, is going to be in the mix, you know, going to be in the conversation as a first rounder next year from what I've heard so far. Navon Donaldson, left guard at Miami. Uh, you know, Miami as a unit was a little bit disappointing on the offensive line last year, but uh, he's somebody that has, has done some good things in the past. He just unfortunately struggled with injury a little bit last year, had a knee issue that was going to hold him out this spring. But uh, Jimmy Morrissey, the center at Pitt, I, I was pretty surprised that, the number of centers that I think were in contention yeah. uh, for the spot. And and I personally landed on Morrissey as, as my first round guy, but there were certainly other guys who could be in the mix. Uh, at right guard, our, our highest rated player is, is an interesting one. Uh, Wake Forest, uh, Terrence Davis. He transferred from Maryland, sat out most of last year, played, uh, I believe, only four games for the Terrapins, but uh, he's somebody that started 31 games in the past at, you know, at the Power 5 level, has played a lot of football. He's very close to a 94 overall rating. He certainly has an opportunity to be an all-ACC type guy, to be a draft pick. Uh, He's going to be somebody to watch because Wake Forest is basically rebuilding on the right side of the offensive line. So want to give, you know, Sam Hartman uh, some time to throw to Sage Surratt and and Donovan Green, who uh, is a redshirt freshman, I think a a very exciting player to keep an eye on. So uh, that Wake Forest offensive line, couple of couple of uh, areas of concern but hopefully Terrence Davis will, will hold uh, that right guard spot down and then Boston College has uh, conversely I think a very very solid offensive line they return uh, four starters one of them Ben uh, Petrula at, at right tackle who is uh, over a 90 as far as his rating he started 36 games uh, he's been an all ACC uh, worthy player in the past and and certainly is capable of doing so again so uh, from as far as just the, the pure numbers go, when we take our uh, recruiting ratings and, and adjust those for experience and production, those are uh, you know the top eleven or twelve uh, all ACC offensive players from just a pure rating standpoint. I didn't change too many on on my team. I did take take Justin Ross off, uh, and it wasn't as much the injury as just I think that. Clemson's going to spread the ball around a fair amount. I have pretty high hopes for Armani Rogers, and and uh, they've got some other you know really talented guys a, there as well. Yeah. Exactly, and and uh, some newcomers as well. So I I think Ross certainly is you know <laughs> maybe the the best receiver in the AC, all uh, you know in the in the league. But uh, I, I wanted to get Daz Newsom on this team, so I think North Carolina, who also spreads the ball around, of course, but Newsom was very impressive last year, and Sam Howell, who, uh, if anybody could make a case 
you know, to, to push Trevor Lawrence. Uh, we might look back at the end of the year and Sam Howell is, is the all-ACC quarterback, and, and I certainly could see that. And part of the reason if he does is going to be Daz Newsome. I, I put Atwell on, on the list. I put Surratt on the list, Jordan. Uh, on the offensive line, I went with Ryan Nelson as my left guard, and I went with Doug Nestor as my right guard. Nelson's from Virginia. Or excuse me, yeah, Nelson's from Virginia. Nestor is from Virginia Tech. Uh, but the two tackles I kept the same, and Morrissey I kept at center. And then all purpose. Uh, I, when we've been doing this, I know that this is sometimes a you know uh, a return man, and, and that certainly makes sense. That's what what this is a lot of times. I I often sort of look for a guy that is used in a really unique way, and tight end James Mitchell from Virginia Tech uh, caught I think three touchdowns last year, and then ran for four touchdowns Wildcat. on five carries. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I like uh, it when, when they do that wildcat. I think there was a, a kid from Minnesota a couple years that, that did the wildcat from tight end. I can't he's still there. He's still there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but Mitchell, Mitchell is that sort of guy. I mean, he, he's somebody that uh, in the, you know, down the goal line, down the red zone, they, they want uh, him to uh, punch it in, it's which is big. interesting. It's too he big. Is. Nobody can tackle him. You know? And they've got, you know, Hinden Hooker uh, did a pretty good job running once he once he got hold of that job, and Quincy Patterson as well. I mean, they've got some big quarterbacks who can run it in, but James Mitchell, yeah, give it, you know, give it to him down there. So I I, I just sort of wanted to highlight him uh, as a tight end. You know, he'll he'll be decent, but uh, they they get him involved. They and they did some interesting things with uh, Dalton Keene as well. Uh, last year, I think he also took some snaps in, in sort of a wildcat type position. So, it, it's doing some interesting things there at, at Virginia Tech, but but wanted to highlight Mitchell. But for the most part, uh, pretty much everywhere else, I, I was lined up pretty pretty much the same as far as our player ratings go. Not a lot of changes for Xavier, but uh, I, I do like you going with Daz Newsom out of North Carolina, and I think you have you're the only one with Christian Darasaw out of Virginia Tech mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I really like Daz Newsome. He's somebody who, as a guy who was a small receiver and well, still a small guy, I really just love you know his ability to get up the field. Um, Sam Howell last year, I think at times stared down receivers, which kind of took away from his ability sometimes because I felt like he was always a mismatch no matter where he played. Um, you know, he showed it in the Clemson game. He showed it against Pittsburgh last year, going for 171 yards. I think he's going to be. I think he's going to do even better now that Sam Howell is in a better situation now. I think he's going to be able to, you know, spread the ball around even more so than he did last year because um, I don't think he'll be staring down receivers as time. And I think he'll be able to work through his progressions more. Um, and then for Darisol, this is just a guy who, you know, I'm looking through PFF. I'm looking for names. And they have him ranked as the ninth best uh, returning offensive lineman. Um, and, he, and, you know, when, when you look at his running blocking grades that increased from 66 to 79. It looks like he's just on a trajectory to be one of the top offensive linemen in 2020. Um, he's playing for a Virginia Tech team that is obviously going to be one of the better teams in the ACC this year. We'll get to their defense later. But this is a guy to look forward to on their offense, especially their offensive line, to help carry that team. Uh, I don't have then, to... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, 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 do, I do have one more difference, um, and that's uh, Amari Rogers at Clemson. This is a guy who I genuinely wanted to put at wide receiver for me. Um, but I think he's just one of the more underrated receivers in college football. This is a kid who's built like a running back um, at 5'10", 220 pounds. Uh, he, he will run over you. He will run by you. But last year, he was hampered by an, AC, by an ACL injury that he was coming off of. And I think that th- this year going forward, he's going to be better. 
Um, you know, he still didn't have any a lackluster performance. Um, he, he still went for over 500 yards, still had multiple touchdowns to match his 2018 year. But I think a year, two years away from ACL surgery, feeling healthy, and more so than that, just mentally being there. I mean, understanding that, you know, your knee is fine now. Since the ACL injury, he's going to explode. And I think if Justin Ross is a guy who deals with injuries throughout the year, he's going to have an immaculate season. I, I'm I, looking out for him to be a, a high riser on draft boards throughout the year. I like that. That's a uh, that's a CFF guy for sure. So um, uh, I don't have many differences at all. I have Justin Witt, the right tackle from NC State, uh, pretty high VGR plus. Um, and I, I like to stick right tackle versus left tackle. I wanted to put Darasaw on my list, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I do like to pick right tackle. So that's why I went with Witt. Uh, brings a little edge, got suspended at the end of the year for starting a fight. Uh, so just one of those guys that is pretty strong uh, and a pretty good offensive lineman there for NC State and brings a little bit of an edge. And Damond Philyad Johnson, the wide receiver out of Duke, should step up more into the receiving role this year too but last season averaged over 30 yards return and took back two of 17 kicks four scores so uh really really great return man option but i just couldn't come off of you know trevor lawrence and there's great options here Derek king moving to the acc is a fantastic option in quarterback sam howell like xavier mentioned uh started as a true freshman last year so he should be strong as well but it's just hard you know there's a lot of good entrenched names in the acc but the defense nick uh, a little bit different and i I, I believe just brings us more options here to be different. Mm-hmm. So uh, talk to us about uh, VGR plus and the all ACC team on defense. Absolutely. One, one last thing though, I, I failed to mention that actually all three of us uh, had Javian Hawkins, the, the uh, running back from Louisville, actually, instead of Laybourne in, in our all ACC teams, guy that went over 1500 yards on the ground last year, nine touchdowns. I think we all expect to be that second best running back this year but uh absolutely on defense this one was a little less straightforward especially at you know i mean in the in the on the offensive side i mean you just had to pencil in lawrence and etienne and and then start to get to work but uh, but defensively there were a lot of options at all three levels and and again we did uh too many i mean we've got what 13 guys here but four defensive linemen four linebackers and five dbs but all of these guys are 100 rated players on the defensive line quincy roche or roche i i have heard both uh from miami who transferred from temple uh was one of the most disruptive pass rushers in all of college football uh last year and is somebody that is going to have an immediate impact uh especially you know across from gregory rousseau who isn't quite to that 100 rating yet so he's not on the vgr plus all acc list but he's somebody that i've i've have heard is you know a high uh first round potential he's a former uh wide receiver recruit a three-star receiver recruit who just uh, absolutely blossomed once they moved him to the defensive side of the football and and so he's on my team uh but didn't make the cut as far as the the vgr plus uh goes because also 100 rated players marvin wilson the defensive tackle at florida state who's similar to tamari and terry could have gone in the first 
few rounds of, of this year's draft, but decided to uh, come back and, and have uh, maybe a stronger senior season, get that program back, uh, hopefully to, you know, a higher level that, that I'm sure is his hope. Uh, and then two guys that might go under the radar a little bit for casual football fans. I know, you know, NFL draft guys are, are all about uh, Boogie Basham, the Carlos Basham Jr. from Wake mm-hmm. Forest is somebody that would have been in the conversation for, you know, top three rounds, maybe even uh, sneak up and in, in, into the first I've heard. Uh, you know, it seems like there's 60 first round picks, so who, who knows? But uh, he's somebody that uh, certainly is is on the minds of, of uh, NFL talent evaluators. And, and then uh, I'm going to completely butcher this name, I apologize, but Victor Dimukiji uh, of Duke is uh, maybe not the Duke, player that that you might have expected to be a 100 rated player i know chris rump the second is is in the mix and and has uh will make an appearance uh, later here but uh uh D, you know victor d is is uh, a, a very solid player has been very uh very productive for the blue devils and and uh, unexpectedly uh or at least unexpected to me i mean duke uh is on the cusp of top 10 as far as their defensive line goes in our uh position and unit rating so that that's you know one to keep an eye on that unit should be uh very good this year at linebacker uh virginia tech's got two of them uh rayshard ashby and dax hollifield are, are uh, among the highest rated players and then virginia the other two zane zadier and and charles snowden who uh is a snowden's a physical freak i mean he's six seven 250 in that range and, and a guy that looks athletic as a linebacker usually that's a uh you know a, a pure edge rusher defensive end type body but he's he's uh athletic enough to to be a a true linebacker will we'll drop into coverage on occasion uh and and certainly can rush the passer and make plays behind the line of scrimmage as well but uh those guys uh, ashby is 100 and, and zadier is 100 but holofield and snowden are, are very close in the 97 98s uh pitt on, on going into the secondary has two of our highest rated players paris ford is somebody that's uh going to earn some all-american uh nods i think in the preseason uh certainly somebody that is uh, always around the football always making plays sometimes has uh, some questionable decision making but uh somebody that uh is a is a great player and, and certainly has an opportunity to have a great season damar hamlin uh got a surprise extra year of eligibility and, and so he's back at pit uh somebody that can play a couple of spots for him, but he, he was on our list last year of the top 100 players in college football, uh, was limited a little bit in, in uh, 2019, but he's certainly somebody that's been productive in the past and is capable again of, of playing at an all conference type level. Uh, Hamsa Nazirladeen, I apologize. Florida State uh, safety who who had some injury concerns last year, but he's a 100-rated player and, and somebody that uh, is certainly worthy of, of a spot on this list. He didn't make my uh, my cut. I wanted to, to highlight just a couple of other guys, but he's you know hopefully if healthy uh, will be a big part of of uh, that Florida State defense this year and a unit that by the way. You know, last last week we released uh, the most improved or uh, most impaired units uh, to our patrons. So went you know quarterback, running back, wide receiver who increased the most in roster strength, who decreased the most in roster strength. 
uh, from the end of the 2019 season, Florida State is the most improved defense in the country. And, and it's because uh, of guys like Wilson and, and uh, Nazirlidine uh, who, who are back from injury and, and are going to be on the field, we hope, at, at full uh, capacity in, in 2020. So uh, just something to, to keep an eye on there. But uh, at the cornerback position, all those three guys were safeties, but the cornerback position, Caleb Farley at Virginia Tech and uh, Darian Kendrick uh, from Clemson, former wide receiver. Uh, those are the highest two corners, highest rated corners in, in the league. Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State was very close, and, and I actually bumped Kendrick on my team for Samuel. Uh, but uh, those two made the cut as far as VGR Plus goes. The only difference, uh, the only real differences on, on my team on the defensive line, I put Corey Darden, Corey Durden, excuse me, uh, who's Marvin Wilson's, you know, uh, teammate and, and uh, co-conspirator in the interior of the defensive line, one of the best pass rushers from the interior, uh, really in, in college football. I mean, he's somebody that pops up on a lot of lists that I've seen as well. I, I bumped uh, Victor D from from uh, my list and went with Durden as a true uh, defensive tackle and then kept Basham uh, and then Rousseau. I, I think Roche will be uh, a very good player, but I think Rousseau, we've seen him do it at the Power 5 level. I mean, he ranked among the nation's leaders in sacks last year, was an absolute beast on third down. He, he had the highest number of sacks on third downs of any player in the country. Uh, so he, he's somebody that I think has got an opportunity to have a big year and, and uh, probably going to be his last year. But that could be the best pass rushing duo in the conference and, and maybe on the short list for in the country, Rousseau and Roche. So both of those guys are worthy. I went with Rousseau and, and Basham across from him. At linebacker, I kept Ashby and I kept Snowden, uh, but I went with uh, Chaz Surratt, former cor- uh, quarterback at North Carolina, who made a, a incredibly smooth transition uh, to linebacker last year and, and really, really played well. And I think put himself in a position not only to be an all-conference player, but uh, hopefully get drafted as well. And then Max Richardson at Boston College has just been all over the field. I mean, uh, very, very productive player. And, and I do like the hire. Uh, Jeff Halfley was a basically a miracle worker from 2018 to 2019 at Ohio State. I mean, that was a very underachieving unit in 2018. And, and it was the best in the country by almost every statistical measure in 2019. So I think somebody like Matt Richardson is, is in position to have a very, very good year. And then I, I did bump uh, Hamlin and, and Nazareldine from the uh, two safety positions uh, on my list because I wanted to highlight Andre Cisco at, at Syracuse. He's somebody who got some All American buzz coming into last year, but Syracuse was you know took such a step back that he's been overshadowed a little bit. But I know he's somebody that's got the attention of, of scouts and, and uh, is certainly capable of, of putting up big numbers. Uh, as well, especially if you know that Syracuse offense jumps up and they start getting in some shootouts again. So uh, I think he's a player to watch. And then I, I do like spend a little time on uh, Oliver and his move over to, to the defensive side of the ball at Georgia Tech. But Trace Willing, the, the safety, they've got a couple of, of solid linebackers as well. But I think Georgia Tech, we're going to see a, a big step forward defensively. And Trace Willing is a very active player, is involved in. in uh, a lot of plays always seems to be around the football making plays and, and he's somebody that I think is going to put together a stat sheet that's worthy of all ACC contention I don't know that we're going to say that he's you know pound for pound the best player at, at that position uh, but he's somebody that I think is is going to be in a position to uh, do some very good things I mean he only had 20 
tackles last year, two for loss, one interception. But that interception was of Trevor Lawrence, and, and he returned it 41 yards almost for a score. And he's a guy that broke up 10 passes, so he could have uh, likely picked up you know a few more picks. Probably will if uh, if he's in position like he was last year. Will get that interception number up. But he's a guy that's you know always seems to be around the football, and, and I think certainly worthy uh, of uh, at least this discussion of, of making that spot. Xavier, what are your differences there? Yeah, so I, I couldn't believe that you guys both didn't have Quincy Roche here. I mean, I, I understand that he hasn't, you know, done it at the P5 level yet, but I think this is a kid who comes right in and, and balls out for Miami. Um, and I think that he's going to have an opportunity to do so. You know, being on the other side of Russo, I think that those two are going to be the two best defensive in, uh, in, in the conference as far as two uh, tandems. Um, I look at also Chris Rumpf. I'm going I'm to leave you, Jalen. Uh, Scott, I, I think Chris Rumpf is a guy who did not perform up to his ability at all times last year, but also got overlooked because he plays for Duke. You know, you're talking about a kid who really performed to a high level for a Duke team that started off the season pretty well and then kind of teetered off down the stretch. But regardless, he was a standout performer all year, and you shouldn't overlook a kid just because the team is bad. Uh, speaking of that, it gets to my next um, – my linebacker, Lakeem Williams, is a kid who had over 110 tackles last year, five sacks, one forced fumble, and a pass deflection. Once again, played for played for a bad Syracuse team. You kind of hit it on the head, um, Nick, when you were talking about the safety. Uh, Cisco, bad team, a defense that was much maligned last year, but these are a couple of the standouts that played for that team. Um, and then, obviously, the only other standout I have is uh, Jermaine Waller, who plays in at Virginia Tech. Now, I couldn't really figure out if he played cornerback or safety. Um, they said he played 10 games at cornerback, but it was sparingly. He also played those mixed games at uh, safety as well. So uh, Swiss Army knife. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so for me is a guy who, who played really well last year. And I love guys who are versatile. He's six one and can play both corner and safety. That makes him even more impressive in my mind. I think I've had a, a Swiss Army knife for every single team that we've done. And I'm just continuing the trend with Waller, a part of a good secondary next to Caleb Fairley and company. I think he's going to have a really good 2020. I think oh, I have I have one quick thing. Who, who's who's going to replace Williams on your list? He's actually uh, see, out of eligibility. I was, see, I was looking for him too because that was the only <laughs> weird. That was because when I looked him up, like there was nothing for him as far as the NFL draft was concerned. So I was like, is he still in school? I don't know. Uh, okay, so, so you need to check the FBS team profiles from CFP Winning Edge. Oh, I'm just, snap, <laughs> I'm just helping out your. I'm just helping out your Patreon. Uh, <laughs> I, I was gonna go with Max Richardson. I, I love Max Richardson. I've always said triple digit tackles always is on my book. I think that he's gonna be a guy who once again plays for a, an underperforming or an underwhelming team at BC. But BC just comes out with good linebackers every like three or four years. And I think he's the next one. I think Max Richardson is gonna be a guy who obviously ends up on this list as you had as well, Nick. Um, I mean, look, I think that, uh, you know, Nick mentioned it, Chaz Surratt, uh, the uh, successful transition from quarterback to linebacker, and, and even saying he's been outstanding is just uh, an understatement. The dude has mm -hmm. been incredible at linebacker for uh, North Carolina and is absolutely on NFL radars now. So uh, I, I just love watching that dude play. And you can see him call out plays like a uh, former quarterback should do as well. So just a lot of fun. Uh, Zane Zandier from Virginia I had to have on the list too, just uh, well over 100 tackles. And, um, you know, I know 
Uh, Xavier mentioned uh, Jalen Twyman, and he wanted to leave him for me. I mean, this one, you know, last week I was talking about how the defensive tackles don't, in general, get the stats, but he does. He had 10 and a half sacks last year as mm-hmm. an interior defensive lineman, so uh, with 41 tackles and 12 tackles for loss as well, two pass deflections at the line as well. Uh, the rest of my line, not surprising, Marvin Wilson as an interior defensive tackle. He's most likely a first-round pick at this point. Uh, Greg Russo and um, Quincy Roche, but also Chris Rumpf and Victor uh, Dimukeji. Uh I think that both those guys, uh, it's hard to, it was real hard to pick the defensive line, which uh, I, I thought was surprising that Nick and I had three of the same and Xavier and I had, uh, you know, a couple of the same as well, at least on the interior. So we all had Marvin Wilson in there. That was the hardest to pick in here. And I don't think I changed much uh, at the linebacker position either. I mean, uh, C.J. Avery from Louisville, another guy that was very, very high in tackles last season. Uh, Storm Duck was kind of the difference between him and the other guys was just a 10 out of 10 name. Come on, Storm <laughs> Duck. That's amazing, but highly productive as well. Uh, Asante Samuel Jr. makes me feel like an old man um, <laughs> uh, because I, I and, you know, Nick is you know, like a couple months younger than me, I think. Uh, I just remember him. I remember his dad being drafted. Asante mm-hmm. Samuel. So Asante Samuel Jr. at Florida State uh, with eligibility for 2021 is just crazy to me. And Paris Ford, of course, one of the best defensive players in the nation. So a uh, lot of talent in the ACC, specifically on the defensive side, which was, uh, I think, you know, and uh, look, uh, look at that. Xavier, how many Clemson <laughs> players did you have on the defensive side of the ball? I had zero. I mean, and neither did I, and neither did Nick, and it's all because they've all been drafted in the last two years. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, you know, they still have a strong defense and high recruits, but we got to see those guys really do it uh, at at the next level here. So was there anyone, Nick, that you just lamented leaving off the list that you're like, God, I really wish I could get this guy in here, but there's just no shot for him? Well, I, I struggled a little bit. On the defensive line, I mean, one Chris Rumpf is is I think uh, somebody who's been incredibly impressive. The the Duke defensive end, one he's he's not a starter. <laughs> he he started one game uh, in his career already, uh, but he's you know he he's just been that productive, and he's two hundred and twenty five pounds. So I almost listed him as a linebacker, but you know he's really he's not. He's he's a, he plays defensive end. But I, I we could have chosen. I think each of us uh, could have put a different pit defensive lineman on the list. I mean, Jalen Twyman uh, absolutely is is uh, worthy, but Patrick Jones, the second, uh, I'll, I'll put it this way. Both Twyman and Jones put up 14 production points, according to our numbers, last year, which was among uh, the tops in the country. Uh, especially for a defensive lineman who, you know, as, as we've mentioned, don't always fill up the stat sheet. But uh, somebody that's fine under the radar is Rashad Weaver, who was out most of last year. Uh, he has 17 career production points, but he had a torn ACL, I believe, in, in the season opener last year and missed, or no, uh, in fall camp, missed all of last year. And then Keyshawn Camp uh, similarly suffered a, a knee injury in week one and missed the rest of the year. So if both of those guys are healthy coming back and then uh, add that to uh, Twyman and, and Jones, I mean, the pit defensive line is currently ranked seventh in our unit ratings. And that's, that's you know, 
elite. I mean, we're, we're talking best of the best there. And, and so all of those guys, I think, are worthy. Uh, one who missed the cut on our, our uh, offensive teams, you know, we, we Xavier and I chose Daz Newsom, but, you know, if, if you look at it, Deami Brown had uh, more yards, more touchdowns, mm-hmm. and six <laughs> yards more per catch. So he's an incredibly explosive big play receiver. It's going to have an opportunity to be even better this year and, and certainly is worth a mention. Uh, I think if Syracuse can turn it around a little bit offensively, if, if uh, DeVito can you know step up and become the quarterback that I think a lot of us expected him to be last year in his first year as a starter, somebody like Taj Harris might have a, a big year. Uh, Pitt threw the ball an awful lot last year. There, I, I, I've heard they will try to run it a little bit more, but Mark Whipple sometimes you just can't, you know, can't help himself. He likes just, to uh, throw it. <laughs> <laughs> he does. So, uh, Taysier Mack is somebody that could step in for uh, Maurice French and be just a uh, uh, you know reception. You said it you know, wrong. Hundred reception. French. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But uh, you know, if I. My favorite position is always tight ends. I think there's, you know, the potential Brevin Jordan is is my favorite, is the most athletic. It reminds me of Hunter Bryant from Washington, who didn't get drafted. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yes. Is somebody that's incredibly athletic and, and capable. But Marshawn Ford, former walk-on level player at Louisville, they did some really, really interesting things with Ford last year as a, an H-back tight end. Fullbacks, I mean, moved him all around, and, and he made plays. He's somebody to to really keep an eye on. Uh, he basically came out of nowhere, had a big year, and, and is poised, I think, for an even bigger uh, 2020. Hunter Long is probably a top-10 tight end in college football. I mean, he's somebody that's been very productive. You, you kind of have to wait and see what's the offense going to look like at Boston College, but he's somebody that has the track record. Noah Gray, similarly, overlooked at Duke, but, you know, they, they do uh, get the – the ball to the tight end on occasion. They're working in a new quarterback, you know, uh, some change along the offensive line. Have to think that tight end maybe would be more of a security blanket. He has a chance to put up some good numbers this year. And, and Lucas Kroll at Pitt, pretty highly rated. He's a transfer from Florida, uh, got surpassed by Pitts, who I think is the best tight end in college football. Uh, but he's a 6'6, 255, uh, somebody that came in as a, a high four star recruit capable of perhaps having a big senior year putting him in position for for a really big year so there certainly were some guys that that missed the cut there are a lot of dbs that were on the cusp a lot of linebackers i think in the conversation uh defensive line is is about as deep as it gets we didn't even talk about uh xavier thomas or justin foster returning starters at clemson and those guys have huge uh, talent and, and you know there there's there's more talent in this conference than I think I expected coming in because it is you know Clemson and everybody else but the gap is is closing slightly at least on the defensive side of the ball because of all the turnover Clemson's got but there there's some very very talented players at Miami Florida State North Carolina Virginia Tech I, I think there's you know I, I think it's still Clemson far and away but. The ACC, I think, is going to be a little bit more interesting than perhaps Xavier might have thought. So you're saying that the ACC is going to be watchable this year. (laughs) (laughs) Xavier, was there anyone that uh, you felt bad about leaving off of your list? Well, there's not really anybody that I felt bad about, but just two guys I'm going to name that I I just love watching them play last year. The first one, you guys know, I've said in the podcast before, Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh. He, hasn't, he didn't have a great statistical year as far as touchdown to interception ratio, but it's just a tough 
hard-nosed kid. I wouldn't be surprised if he played with broken ribs all last year. I mean, he, he goes out there and he's just a competitor. I love watching him play um, every single game. I felt like, you know, he was playing linebacker at the quarterback position. That's just, you know, the, the kind of hard-nosed player I thought he was in, in all of last season. Another one is Michael Carter out of UNC, the running back. I really felt like he was kind of overlooked. You know, you named the two receivers out of North Carolina, but this is a guy who ran for over a thousand yard la yards last year on only 170 carries, uh, shared the backfield at times last year. And also with Daz Newsom being the, the, the Swiss Army knife that they used him as, also had to share carries with him. I, this is a guy who I think can easily go for 12 to 1300 yards if UNC is a better program this year up front. And I think they will be as well as Sam Howell being a better passer is going to help out the running game. Um, and, and, you know, just another kid who I thought played very physical, you know, punched you in the mouth every time he ran the football. And I like watching them play. So uh, for me, it, it's really I mean, you guys mentioned most of them, but the quarterback situ situation, you have to put Trevor Lawrence in there. Uh, I mean, he's taken his team to uh, the national championship in his two starting years and won the first. Right. one. So uh, he has to go in there. But Derek King is as far as college football standards goes is outstanding and if i had you know any trust in the miami offense at all i might have picked him but i ju you just can't do it because trevor lawrence is that upper echelon type of quarterback the you know generational type of qb he would have been the first Sunshine. overall pick last year uh and two years ago in the draft so um, uh, you have to go with him, but De'Ara King, I think, is going to be a stud. And Sam Howell also started as a true freshman, like Xavier said. Maybe he stares down his uh, first read a little bit, but this is a kid coming out of high school, you know, and seeing that uh, that jump from year one to year two should be pretty big for a kid like him. So uh, that was really uh, those were really the, the sticking points. But you know, you just you have to go with Trevor Lawrence. Uh, who is going to be the favorite to win the Heisman this year and uh, take Clemson to a third national championship in a row. So, Can I, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to do things on the ground this year that I don't think we've seen him do this year uh, or in his career so far. I think we saw a little bit of a taste of it against Ohio State, uh, but the people are going to show him the legs that I knew he had since high school. Um, I've, I've been calling him Sunshine for a long time for a reason. <laughs> And I, and I think that he's going to show you the remember the Titans-esque legs that he has this season. And he's going to – I know we already know he by far and away. I think he's going to be the first overall draft pick. But I think it's not even going to be close after he shows his ability to run this year. Yeah, he ran. It was funny because when I was looking at uh, Justin Fields versus Trevor Lawrence kind of as the number one quarterback and, you know, uh, obviously for draft stuff, you'd have to throw Trey Lance in there who plays in North Dakota State. We won't be talking about mm -hmm, too much mm -hmm, in this podcast. But um, and I was surprised that it, uh, Justin Fields was better passing the ball downfield, more air yards, uh, higher attempts uh, per, per catch or higher yards per catch uh, completion, I should say, for. For him and Lawrence ran for more yards and more touchdowns than Fields. So, or m maybe not touchdowns, but uh, it was I think over a hundred yards more than Fields, which was surprising to me. And I remember reading one of the first articles I read about Trevor Lawrence said if Peyton Manning could run, 
And I was like, oh, my mm. God, are you serious? And I don't know <laughs> if he's that good, but he's really, really good. So, yep. um, you know, and that was kind of a hype article, of course, about him after his freshman year. But he is an absolute stud. So uh, I think that's going to do it for us on uh, this episode. I have a, a, a small piece of late-breaking, very sad news. I don't know if you guys have seen this already. Mm-mm. But uh, Illinois head coach Lovey Smith has shaved his beard. Oh, okay. Gee, you, you had me scared for a second, Nick. Good Lord. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay now. Okay. Oh, so Lovey Smith, he got rid of that gray beard. Well, uh, I got rid of my beard a couple weeks ago, and, and no one shed a tear. It wasn't uh, nearly as gray as Lovey's. So, um, but, Nick, you, you, man. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Good Lord. Nick feeling froggy today. He completely had us, uh, on that. I'm like, no, 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 no. And it's just his beard. Okay. Well, that'll grow back. I mean, we've got, uh, we went through it, Nick, where we got 13 weeks before the season starts or 12 weeks before the season starts. That's plenty of time to grow that, that thing out, uh, way, uh, you know, by the time. And I, I think why he did it, the same reason I did it, um, you can't look like not a weirdo with a giant beard and then the mask on. Yeah. You just, it's not a good yeah. look. So he uh, looks basement ridden. Yeah. yeah. But after seeing my chins, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to look weird with that mask on. It's fine. I'll grow this beard back out. So we're in the process of doing that, but uh, that is going to wrap it up for us next week. We are going to be drafting. Uh, an all-american team so uh we have put parameters on it we cannot repeat players on our all-american team so uh we are going to start um and go uh, one through three obviously a snake draft and draft the offensive team and then the following week we'll do an all-american defensive team in the same style so that is what we have to look forward to next week follow us all on the twitter at bogman sports for me at CFB winning edge for Nick and at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E for Xavier on the Twitter and uh, have a great weekend, everybody. And we will see you next week. CFB winning edge is a Patreon supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB winning edge for details. Mm-hmm.